driver into the rearview mirror of the Lincoln town car. The wound in his forehead had stopped bleeding at the cemetery, but there were stains on his starched white shirt and a thin maroon cut at his hairline, stark reminders of how close he had come to quickly following Bill Donovan into the ground. You okay, Christian? Cohen sat beside Gillette in the back seat. A wisp of a man with thinning, curly black hair, Cohen remembered every number he had ever calculated. He took off his glasses and cleaned the lenses with a tissue. It was only thirty-seven, but he already needed bifocals. I'm fine, Gillette answered firmly. Looks like you might need a couple of stitches. I'm fine. We'll figure out who is responsible, Cohen vowed. We'll use the McGuire brothers. I'll call Tom tomorrow. McGuire and company offered security services, surveillance, background checks, investigations, and executive protection. Tom and Vince McGuire, brothers and ex-FBI agents, ran the firm for Everest Capital, which owned the company. It won't take long to nail whoever did this, Cohen added. Gillette peered out the rear window. Faraday and Mason were in the limousine behind them, escorting the widow from the cemetery to Donovan's thousand-acre Connecticut estate for the reception. You'll never figure out who blew up the limousine, Gillette said, the same way no one will ever figure out what really happened to Bill Donovan on that stream. Donovan's body had been found Wednesday morning, face down in a trout stream that snaked through a remote part of his heavily wooded property. Cohen squinted, the way he always did when he was startled or confused. What do you mean, what really happened to Bill? Bill drowned. Did he? Christian, the police are sure he... I walked that stream with Bill a few years ago. It isn't very wide and it doesn't get deeper than a few feet. Bill was murdered, Gillette said bluntly. My God, Cohen said, his voice hushed. I never even thought about that. What about the limousine exploding? Doesn't that tell you something? Cohen hesitated. Well, that's a good point. They were silent for a few minutes while the town car headed deeper into the Connecticut forest. Mason's angry, Gillette spoke up. He thought he'd be chairman. He would have if Bill hadn't died so suddenly, Cohen agreed. Troy was Bill's favorite, but I don't think he's angry. Troy wanted what I have more than anything in the world, the same way Faraday did. Gillette looked over at Cohen. The same way you did, Ben. Cohen's pale cheeks flushed. I would have done a good job, he muttered under his breath. Do you think Troy will resign? Gillette asked. Well, how can he? Most of his net worth is tied up in Everest. If he resigns, he forfeits his stake in the firm. That's the deal we all signed up for. What do you think his stake is worth? Sixty million. Same as yours and Faraday's, same as mine. What if I fire Troy? Gillette asked, aware that Cohen knew the ins and outs of Everest's legal documents better than anyone. Cohen had always been focused on details, which was why he hadn't been elected chairman yesterday. The chairman of a big private equity firm had to think strategically, and Cohen was constantly off in the weeds, chasing minutiae. He'd received only one vote, his own. Gillette knew how many votes each of them had gotten after checking the minutes of the meeting. As chairman, he was the only one inside Everest who had access to them. He'd beaten Mason by a single vote. What happens then? Gillette pushed when Cohen didn't answer. 
if I fire Troy. We get an investment bank to do a formal appraisal of his stake, Cohen answered. To confirm the sixty million figure. Then we pay it to him in equal monthly installments over five years. What if he's terminated for cause? You mean if he's convicted of a felony? Right. He forfeits his stake immediately and the three of us get it. Cohen shook his head. There's no chance of that, though. Troy's a lot of things, but he's no criminal. Isn't there a broader definition of cause in the partnership agreement? Something about committing acts that could harm Everest's reputation or be detrimental to our business prospects? If you fired Troy using that clause, he'd sue us, Cohen said confidently, and probably win. You've got to have something more. But it's there, Gillette prompted. Right? Yes. Cohen hesitated. Are you really thinking about firing Troy? Gillette glanced at the railroad tracks paralleling the road. What about Donovan's stake in Everest, he asked, avoiding Cohen's question. There's a special exemption in the partnership's operating agreement for Bill, Cohen explained. Because he was the founder, his widow stays in and shares the upside as we sell companies. She doesn't get paid out right away in one lump sum like Mason would if he resigned. And thank God, Cohen added quickly. The widow's share of Everest is worth more than four billion at this point. But she has no authority, Gillette spoke up. She can't tell me how to run Everest. No, she can't. As chairman, you now have total control. Cohen paused. Unless a significant number of the partners get together and vote to remove you. Tell me about that. Cohen shrugged. It's pretty simple. If 60% of the partners decide to remove you, they can. Someone calls a meeting and they vote. But that vote can only be called once a calendar year. The only other way you can be canned is if you're convicted of a felony. Then it's automatic. I thought I saw something in the partnership agreement that covered the widow's voting rights, Gillette said. Does she have something different from everyone else? Definitely. And it's big. No matter how many limited partners there are in the funds, she gets 25% of the vote. What if we raise another fund? Gillette asked watching the train tracks veer away from the road and disappear into the forest. Would she share in the upside of that one, too? No. She might come in as an investor in the next fund if we asked her to, but she'd be a limited partner like everybody else. Investors in Everest Capital's private equity funds were known as limited partners, limited because they had no management authority over the fund. Gillette, Cohen, Mason, and Faraday were the managers responsible for identifying companies to buy, finding executives to operate them, and deciding when to sell, with Gillette now being the ultimate decision-maker on all major issues. Everest Capital earned an annual fee from the limited partners to cover expenses for things like the salaries of Everest's 33 employees and the lease expense for its Park Avenue offices. The aggregate fee, a percentage of the total dollars Everest managed, was $100 million. Big money. But the real sizzle for Gillette, Cohen, Faraday, and Mason was the opportunity to share in the profits, or ups, from the sale of portfolio companies out of the funds. Typically, Everest acquired 10 to 20 companies with each fund, running the companies for three to five years after buying them, significantly increasing profits before taking them public or selling them to bigger companies, in most cases, cashing out for much more than they paid.
then distributing the sale proceeds back to the limited partners. The kicker came after the limited partners had gotten back their original investment. Once that happened, Everest kept 20% of the profits. So if the original size of the fund was $10 billion and that $10 billion turned into $40 billion, the ups were $6 billion. $6 billion split just four ways, now that Donovan was dead. The last private equity fund Everest had raised was $6.5 billion. It was the seventh fund Everest had raised and was one of the largest of its kind. Donovan and Nigel Faraday had led the money raise, completing it 18 months ago. A little over half of the $6.5 billion was invested in seven companies. Gillette's eyes narrowed. Ben, we're going to start raising the eighth fund next week, he announced. The target is going to be $10 billion. Cohen's mouth fell slowly open. $10 billion? Yes. But we're only a little over halfway through the seventh fund. The partnership agreement states that I can start raising the next fund after we've invested 50% of the current one. Sure, but Bill always waited until we'd invested at least 75%, Cohen countered. So the limited partners would feel like we were more focused on generating returns and not just raising more money so we could collect bigger management fees. Ten billion is a lot of money. We'll need extra time. Cohen sighed, adjusting his glasses. Christian... There's something you should know. Gillette glanced over. What? Both Kyle and Marcy have been approached by other firms. They've been offered very nice packages. Kyle Leefors and Marcy Reed were managing directors at Everest Capital. One rung below Cohen, Faraday, and May.